Hello, everyone, and welcome to Celtic Preacher Podcast 113. And today we're going to be looking at one of the most common ways that God communicates with us, which is via scripture, what we call the Bible. We're going to be looking at how God uses scripture. And that could be teaching, could be somebody talking, it could be you reading it, it could be the words of a song. I mean, there's many different ways the word can come to us. But how does God actually use the scripture to communicate to us? And here's another thing. How do we know it's God communicating and not just someone's personal opinion? How, How do we learn how to discern what is someone's personal opinion or God or maybe just our own idea. So we're going to be going way, way back to an ancient book. It's the book of Nehemiah. And we're going to be looking at lessons from the ancient people of Israel. And this took place maybe 600 years or so, even before Jesus was born. So we're going back to Nehemiah chapter 8. And I'm going to give you a little bit of background to the story here and what happened. You know, there was a practice in ancient times. It was called the exile. Uh, There was a practice in ancient times that when your country was attacked by an enemy, if your enemy defeated you, many of the many of the people of the land that were defeated would be transported back to the enemy land. It was kind of like a forced migration. And many times, uh, if, you were, if you were going to be exiled, you know, if you were, if you were basically stolen from your land and taken to the, your enemy's land, uh, many times they would take the brightest and best. But <laughs> you can imagine how traumatic this was. You'd basically be stolen from your homeland and everything that was familiar and you'd be taken back. And in this case, it's to ancient Babylon because this is the time frame we're in. This exile was called the Babylonian exile and it happened about 600 years before Jesus. The, the, the arch enemies from the north, Babylon, came down, conquered Israel and Many, many people were transported back to ancient Babylon and they were there a long, long time, as in like 70 years. So some of them lived and were born and and died there. Now, some people thrived during exile, people like Daniel, you know, the one in the lion's den. Uh, Won't go into his story, but he actually did very, very well. And, um, but others pined away for the homeland and um, were desperate to get back to Israel. They missed everything so much. And of course, there'd be people that were in unbearably horrible situations. So we're going to pick up the story where the people have been exiled now for about 70 years. They're in ancient Babylon. And another ancient kingdom, Persia, came and conquered Babylon. And Cyrus of Persia said to all the exiles, okay, I've heard that you're, you're interested in going back to the homeland. 
And I've heard that Jerusalem is falling apart and the walls are in complete disarray. The temple's falling apart. Whoever wants to go back, you have my permission. You don't have to stay here any longer. Whoever wants to go back to the homeland and rebuild the, the temple and rebuild your walls and go back to the homeland and settle there, you're welcome to do that. And two of the prophets at that time, Ezra and Nehemiah, were basically the leaders that invited the exiles, those who were interested, let's go back, let's rebuild, let's settle in the land again. So we're picking up the story when the people of Israel, the exiles, have returned to the homeland at this point. They have been there about 52 days. Their walls are rebuilt. And they're starting off their new life. And Ezra calls all the people together in the town square. And he starts to read the Torah, which is the first five books of what we call the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, it's been 70 years since this, has, this had happened, right? I mean, when you're in a foreign land, when you're, when you're exiled in Babylon, you leave everything behind. You leave your religion behind, or you practice it secretly, let's just say that. You leave your culture behind, your language behind, any relatives that didn't get exiled or stayed behind. Um, I mean, you're just starting all, everything is brand new in Babylon. So when Ezra gathers the new, the, the returning exiles in the square, this has never happened in their lifetime. Only the older people would ever have any memory of a prophet standing and reading the scroll and actually hearing God's word read out loud to them. Because, of course, they weren't allowed to do this when they were exiles in Babylon. Babylon had other gods. And the text tells us in Nehemiah that Ezra, the prophet, reads from early in the morning, gathers the people together, and he reads until lunchtime. Hours and hours and hours. He stood on a wooden platform built for this purpose and he read and he gave an interpretation so that the people would have an idea how to apply it to their lives. And now remember, there's only like a 2% literacy rate in those days. So everything was learned orally. You, these people knew how to listen. But nonetheless, that's a long time to listen, from very early in the morning to lunchtime. I mean, that's like hours and hours and hours. And what happened was, this is like a preacher's dream, the people start to, they're just overcome with emotion when they hear the Torah, the scripture read, and they start to weep. Men and women and children, all of them, all who could hear with understanding, they weep. And not only that, their body is affected. They stand up, they raise their hands up to heaven. In other words, their entire being, their whole body is, is affected. Because this is really, really striking a chord of truth. 
and they're attentive for hours. No checking their phone, no looking at their watches, no sipping their coffee, nothing like that. Absolutely riveted to Ezra's reading of the Torah. And they would have heard old, old stories that their grandparents had passed down. They would have heard about their ancient, ancient ancestors being released from captivity in Egypt and led to freedom by Moses. And they would have heard about Noah and his family. The world was com completely lost its moral compass, but God decides to rescue Noah and his family and begin again. And they would have heard promises about, oh, like Abram and Sarah, the ancient patriarchs, matriarch, where God said, Abram, Sarah, you will have so many descendants, you won't even be able to count them. There'll be more than the stars in the sky and your descendant will, uh, it's going to change the entire world. Well, it ended up doing that because one of the descendants happened to be Jesus. And they would have heard about Joseph and the one with the multicolored coat who was uh, miraculously saved by God. All these, all these ancient, ancient stories. But the common thread being, um, whether it's Joseph or whether it's Moses or whether it's Abraham, it's like the common thread through all these Old Testament stories is God is always, always faithful. Even if you're lost, even if you're in captivity, even if you're in exile, even if your life is a complete mess due to your own lack of trust or your stubbornness or your disobedience, or it doesn't really matter. The theme that runs through all these stories is God can be trusted and God is the one who finds and rescues and returns, returns you restores you, I guess we'd say. So they're listening to this and they're just weeping, probably because they're cut to the heart, you know, they sense that their priorities are wrong and had they put God first? Well, not really. I mean, sometimes, sometimes I'm sure they had a desire to please God with their choices and their decisions and their words and their actions. And then no doubt the ancient people were like us. Sometimes they got distracted and they were busy with other things. And yes, they kind of wanted to follow God's ways, but no, they didn't want to give God their full attention. You know that, that tension that we feel? Sort of the human dilemma, isn't it, to feel that tension? Because it's so easy to get caught up in the distractions of life. So when the priest, Ezra, reads from the scroll, they weep just weeping you know i think i think sometimes our troubles come simply because our priorities are wrong i mean it's god's always with us right it's not that god leaves but i think it can happen that god gets put to the back of our minds and our work and our children and our household chores and extended family and finances and disagreements and what Jesus called the cares of this world certainly seem to have our attention, don't they? I don't think the ancient people were much different from us in that respect. 
And I wonder if they wept too with regret, you know, because when they hear about how faithful God was, and remember, they've just been rescued from exile. So they're starting afresh in this new place. So you, you just wonder, I wonder if they're sort of re- feeling a little bit of regret. It's like, oh, look at this. You know, look how faithful God's been through it all. I wish I had trusted more. Boy, I spent a lot of time worrying over the wrong stuff. And here we are, we're back home. We're back home in Israel and we're starting all over again. And wow, I've spent a lot of my life fretting over stuff, (laughs) you know, that what a waste of time. You, You wonder about that, you know, because here they are, God was faithful and rescued them and turned around their fortunes, basically. And these ancient Hebrews, you know, when they heard the word, when, you know, clarity came to them and understanding, it's like, oh, yeah, I, I, I see now. I see what God wants for me. My, my priorities were wrong. I see, I see what I've gone wrong. I see what I, I messed up and it strikes a deep chord. I think that's why they're weeping. And I think that's when we know it's God. It's when it strikes a deep chord. Nobody needs to talk you into what God is saying to you. Right? You you don't need to ever be coerced into it. This is what God is saying to you. No, no, it doesn't work that way. It strikes a chord. It's like... uh, a wonderful passage in Hebrews that says, um, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And meaning that when God speaks, it cuts through pretense. When God speaks, when you hear something that's true, not talking about an audible voice here, when you hear something that's true or when you read something that's true, It cuts through all the pretense, cuts through all the rationalizing, and you just know, yep, that's for me, that word's for me, this is is what I need to do. This is what I need to do. Or it could be a correction, maybe you don't need to do anything. I think that's how you know when it's God's word and God's wisdom. And it seems that the witness of the scripture is, is that God is all about trying to communicate with people over and over and over again. This is, it's very important, I suppose you can say if something is important to God, um, is like God wants to communicate with us. It's important. And Ezra's people wept because they heard God's word. They heard the truth of the matter. It struck a chord. It's like, I need to make some changes here. I'm I'm sensing that I need to make some changes. I mean, that alone, that one thought, I need to make some changes, can bring anyone to tears, right? Because it takes a lot of courage to, to make a big change, right? It takes a lot of courage to... For example, learn how to forgive someone or stop interfering. 
Yeah, I mean, if God is speaking and, and the word is, you need to back off and mind your own business, that's not easy to take, is it? Or if the word is, you need to stop controlling people, mind your own business, do what's yours to do. Not everyone, do what everyone else, you know, stop being in everybody's business. Yeah, I think trusting God, hearing God, is difficult because it requires action. And, and we all know how challenging it is to change a behavior. But when God speaks, God's word is always bringing, it's, it's bringing truth to the matter and truth is surfacing. So like Jesus was a great one for speaking truth. And, and, and that meant sometimes saying to people, you are so very wrong in how you're thinking about this particular situation. We'll see this next week because this is a, we're going to be talking about that later. But he was so honest, so terribly blunt sometimes. So it's like, you, you're so off in how you're thinking about this situation. Here's the way you need to think about this. Yeah, we don't do people favors when we keep on, when we keep quiet for too long and they're off track, you know? Misplaced compassion, I think. Anyway, back to the text, this, this whole idea of the word cutting through all the pretense, cutting through all the self-centeredness and getting to the heart of the matter. Not easy to be corrected, is it? But I think that this is what the ancient people are feeling. I think that's why they're weeping. They're corrected. You know, there they were in exile. Now they're out of exile. They're starting off fresh. They're starting off new. It's a new beginning for them. And right away the priest is saying, Ezra, okay, we're going to start new here. We're going to have a new beginning. Well, let's all be on the same page and let's make sure that we're living the right way. Otherwise, we're going to repeat the mistakes of the past and end up in the same mess again in this, now that we're back in Israel, right? <laughs> we see that all the time, don't we? Yeah, there's a great line, the sins of the forefathers visit, you know, the next generation and the next generation. I mean, it's that whole idea about, of unbroken patterns. If people, if we don't learn our lessons we pass them on to people around us, which is kind of a frightening thought, isn't it? But, you know, God's the one who calls us out of exile. God was the one that rescued the ancient ones. Now, when I talk about when we're in exile, obviously we're not in ancient Babylon. I think an exile is anything that really holds you captive. And I think that exile is sort of being in a position or a place that you don't want to be. And again, it's not necessarily geographical, it could be a state of mind. I mean, it might be a physical location. You might be in a place that you think, I just hate this job, or I hate this living arrangement. I'm not happy here. I don't like this house. I don't like this town. That could be an exile. It's really hard to live in a town or a state for that matter, or country for that matter, that you just, you just don't like it. You don't fit in some way. An exile could be a state of mind or, a, or, or health, lack of health. 
There's an exile. Your body isn't doing what you want it to do. That is an exile. It's hard. It could be grief or loneliness or confusion or a lack of direction. That feels like an exile to me. You know, an exile is something that you want out of and you're looking for some kind of freedom. You know, for 70 years, the ancient people, that was their prayer. God, please do something. Get us out of here. Which is a little bit... Oh, I don't know. It's challenging because the, these people were there for 70 years. So this gives us the idea that change can be a long time coming. You know, God is never in a hurry. But for what it's worth, the scripture also teaches that God always, first of all, is with us and waits with us during times of waiting, and it's always, always purposeful. Now, that is so hard to receive if you are in a place of waiting, but that's what the scripture points to. It's like, no, 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 it's, it's, you gotta wait, you have to wait. I know you're waiting. It's like God says, I know, I know. Yeah, it's not easy to trust when you're, when you're in an exile. Well, when life is smooth and everything's going fine, easy to trust in God, but, you know, exile, that's an entirely, entirely different story. And again, too, after an exile, you know, when you start all over again, when you come out of something that's really hard, that's hard too, in a different way. You know, because these exiles, they've just been saved from exile, right? And they're back home, and there they are. They're standing in the town square, and they're weeping. They're thinking, oh, no, I think I really messed up. Oh, no, what did I do? They're kind of filled with regret, and Nehemiah says at the end of the text here, uh, look, people, don't cry. Stop your grieving, okay? Nehemiah says, stop grieving. Stop crying. I know you've heard the word, and I know it's touched you, but stop, stop grieving, Listen, people, the joy of the Lord is your strength, he says. Nehemiah is saying, now you can't pin your security and your hopes on your dreams solely in this ever-changing world. You need something solid. What is solid? God with you, God for you, God loving you is solid. That's where you get your joy. Now, by the way, in the scripture, joy is not a feeling, it's a choice. When, when Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength, he's saying, now you got to choose this. Because all around you, you're going to be filled with changes and new things. And some you'll like and some you won't like. And it's not always going to be easy and it's going to be hard, even though you've been, even though you've been set free and you're starting off fresh, just because you start off fresh somewhere doesn't necessarily mean it's all a piece of cake, right? So Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength and you have to choose it. It's a deliberate thing that you have to choose to do. It doesn't come naturally to us, you know? The natural default should always be questioned because our natural default might be complaining or 
misery or worst case scenario or being angry at everything all the time, right? So we want to question that and we want to choose something else, something that's true, something that's good. Nehemiah would say, well, this is what's true and what's good. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Whether you are in the midst of an exile just now, God knows, God's with you, God waits with you. Whether you're coming out of an exile, you're starting something new, it's a whole new change, you're apprehensive, but you're kind of excited, God is with you. Or whether you feel like you've just, you're just going in to an exile, it doesn't really matter because God is the same. It doesn't matter, you see, it, it makes a difference to us where we are, but God's intentions toward us, always the same. It's always the same. Remember that great line in Hebrews, uh, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life changes, people change, circumstances change. One sure thing, God never changes. There's your rock, there's your stability, there's your joy. Well, there, and that's the heart cry, isn't it? God, help me to help me to receive that and live in it because that's going to take me beyond my circumstances. Well, thank you for joining me. You've been listening to Celtic Preacher. Join with me again next week for another episode.